So my guest today, Chris Winfield, is actually a good friend of mine. We have been part of a a group of New York City dads who've been meeting on a regular basis for years now just to kind of support each other. And I'm really excited to be able to dive into his story with him. So in the late or in sort of the mid to late 2000s, Chris was really riding highs, living fast, a co-founder of one of the hottest creative agencies in tech, pretty much had the world at his feet, but secretly he was dying inside. He was addicted and at what seemed like the height of his success, Chris's business and his life pretty much completely imploded. He realized there just had to be a different way and starting in recovery, he set off on this journey of rediscovery, um, deeply personal, seeking to figure out who he was, what really mattered to him from the inside out, and how he wanted to serve. And years later, coming from a way more intentional and healthy place, he's completely rebuilt his life. He's clean and sober, leading by giving, and found a way to tap what he learned was actually one of his greatest and most valued strengths, which was his ability to connect with people. That eventually fueled the launch of a series of publicity events for entrepreneurs and experts he called Unfair Advantage Live, along with a new venture called Super Connector Media, which is really fun and cool because he's on a kind of a mission to help people share their unique genius with the world. Really excited to share Chris, his story, his rediscovery and reclamation and devotion to service in today's conversation. I'm Jonathan Fields, and this is Good Life Project. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Good Life Project is brought to you by Understood Explains, a podcast that's like a beacon for parents navigating the special education system. Hosted by Juliana Ertube, a special education expert, this season is all about individualized education plans, or IEPs. Juliana breaks down complex topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP in a way that's easy to grasp. I checked out an episode of Understood Explains about the difference between IEPs and 504 plans, and I was struck by the balance of empathy and practical advice. It's not just about understanding the system. It's about empowering parents and caregivers to advocate for their children, which is just so important. So I've known a number of people who've had to literally scramble to figure out how to advocate for their kids when the system seemed to just make it so hard to get the support that they need and deserve. So if you're a parent navigating this world or even just wondering if it's right for your family, I encourage you to give Understood Explains a listen. Search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. It's like having a roadmap for a journey you didn't expect, making it a little less daunting. I was never really allowed 
to be still growing up. Mm. Never like that was not something I would. You wouldn't walk into our house growing up and see anyone just like laying on the couch or meditating or anything like that. Like it was always you had to be in in movement and. I still have that where I'm like, oh, well, I'll feel guilty. Like if I just, I'm my own boss, you know, for a long time. And if I decide to like stop in the middle of the day and watch like an episode of Billions, I'll have guilt around that. Or like, let's say Jen comes home and like, I'll jump up and like pretend I'm doing something (laughs) because I'm like, oh, I don't want her to think that I'm not doing anything. So there's like a certain amount of almost shame associated with just kind of chilling. A hundred percent. That's so interesting. A hundred percent. And you can tag that back to when you were a kid. Oh, yeah. Without a doubt. It was, you know, there's a lot of reasons for that, but it wasn't something. Our house was not just a place where you just did nothing. Yeah. Which actually kind of like, I, I mean, like, I, like I've met your parents. Um, and actually, I met your dad the first time when he was like in the city because he was um, helping out at the New York City Marathon. Um, so I'm guessing that was part of the whole f- like philosophy and ethos of movement. Exercise yeah. was essential, still is for them. Um, so his father died from heart disease when he was about like nine. And I think that there was this whole idea like that he didn't want that to be him. So exercise, being healthy became just paramount, you know, above everything else. I don't know if above everything else, but it's still that way. So it's like, they're still, they'll come over. I love my parents. They'll come over though. And it like to see me and, you know, they always have to have a plan. You always have to know what we're doing, what we're doing, what we're doing. And that was like my life for, for so long. And I think I can still go back to that really, really easy. Yeah. Were you an athlete as a kid though? Not anything good. I didn't, I had this story that I wasn't. Um, it's really interesting, you know, the stories that we tell ourselves or just, I had this idea that I wasn't a good athlete and, you know, now as an adult, like people are like, oh, you're a great athlete. And I'm like, no, that was not, that was not me. Um, I mean, I did sports because we had to always be doing something. Yeah. We had to do, you know, a sport or have a job and you know, all these different things. So I did the stuff, but I did it so half-assed and just not not into it at all. Yeah. Well, also, I mean, when you're a kid and that's sort of like mandated from the top down, it's not the thing you want to be doing. Exactly. So you, you had part of the, the growing up thing was you had to have a job also. Job. Yeah. Sport, job, all, uh, everything. Right. So it wasn't just about movement. It was about, it sounds like responsibility. Everything. Yes. <laughs> it was, it was like, all right. And the, the crazy thing was I was constantly getting in trouble. I was not like a good, I mean, I was a good student just because I was able to even if I half-assed it, I was able to do well, you know, just get by on, you know, brains or whatever. I never studied. I always got in trouble. That was like my MO. For what? <laughs> Talking, every, just everything. Like I literally, and my poor mother. So my mother was a school psychologist, but both of my parents were. At the school that you went to? My high school. Oof. Poor. And <laughs> I literally, and I, when I say like I got in trouble every day, that's not like an exaggeration. Yeah. And that poor woman, you know, she had teachers or friends that would just stop talking to her forever. All this, it was just, it was awful. <laughs> I feel really bad. Every time I bring that up, I'm like, I got to call my mom after this, <laughs> make amends. So when you finally graduate high school, she's like really happy, but you know, like for multiple reasons. <laughs> forever. But then her, my brother was right two years behind me yeah. and in different ways, he was just as much trouble, if not more. <laughs> so. Ran in the family, some rebellion. 
Um, you grew up in a uh, tuxedo, right? Tuxedo, New York, and then uh, further upstate. Right. Which for, for those, so we're hanging out in New York City right now, and tuxedo is uh, like an hour and a half or so north of New York. Exactly. And for those who, who've never heard of it before, it ha so the only way that I know tuxedo is that as a kid, I went there for, it's kind of become legendary for the Renaissance Fair. So like every year you go up there and they're like, it's taken over by people running around in tights and eating with their hands. <laughs> yep, exactly. That's Sterling Forest, which is right past yeah. Tuxedo. It's all kind of considered the same because they're so small. Tuxedo has Tuxedo Park, which is like the only gated town in, like the only gated like public town or something in um, America, I believe. I could be wrong. But gated, and then like actual gated, there's an actual gate to get in. So there's Tuxedo Park and then there's Tuxedo and Tuxedo Park is one of like the richest communities in, I don't know, in America. There's like so many celebrities that live there, a lot of hedge fund guys. Um, and there's an actual gate that you have to go in. And then I lived in Tuxedo. So I literally lived on the other side of the tracks. You know, when people say that I was literally on that other side and, you know, that Growing up, that shaped me so much because I grew up so close to extreme wealth, but I did not, that was not my story. And I remember having so much shame around not having money. And we would go in, like when you go to the gate to go into Tuxedo Park, you have to actually, like, if you don't live there, you have to say, uh, you know, we're here to see blah, blah, blah. And I can remember at like six years old, having shame around that because if I was going with like a friend or somebody who lived there, they just open the gate automatically. So I guess here, New York City, like my building has, you know, doormen. So it's the same thing for your building. You have to announce yourself. If you just, if you live there, you just walk right in. And it didn't bother anyone else in my family. It always bothered me extremely. And I just thought that everyone in the park was happy because they had so much money. So I literally made that connection. All right, these people are all happy. I'm not. I don't have money. These people have money. They're all happy. It was so, it's, and it drove me for so long. Yeah, so like at six years old, you literally have this thing in your mind that says happiness is money. Completely, so directly. That's kind of fascinating. And I believed, and, and I knew the crazy thing was this is what's so weird about how powerful stories like that can become because I knew people that lived in there, a lot of my friends and their parents, and their parents were miserable people. And, you know, there were some happy, nice ones, but most were not. But I didn't even think of that. Like, I didn't equate that. I just had this overarching belief. Everyone in here has money. They're all happy. Yeah, it's the stories that we want to tell ourselves. Um, it's funny because I grew up in a town where um, it was – East Egg from the Great Gatsby in Port Washington. And the town was overall actually, you know, like fairly well to do, but there was Port Washington and then there was Sands Point, which was the tip of it where there was some pretty astonishing wealth. Mm -hmm. And I saw a lot of the same things. Um, and I remember having similar struggles, not so early, but I remember in high school and, and reflecting back on that, it's funny because you look at like, well, the haves and the have nots. We didn't, we weren't really the have nots, you know, but when it, but we're, I mean, we live such lives of comparison that when you look at just astonishing wealth, it makes somebody who's actually like the family's fine and everyone's good and we're like, everything's great. It's like, there's something that happens to, that, to our brains where it just kind of flips into this mode of like, wow, oh, woe is me. <laughs> 
Exactly. Yeah. And I, I have this story that I had like no money growing up because that's how we kind of lived. But that's not really the case when, you know, I compare myself to somebody who truly is you know, like destitute. Yeah. But comparatively, I, that's how I thought because we had, you know, we couldn't just go out to dinner. We had, you know, like things yeah. like that. But I just, I believe that and I chased that for so long. And I still, you know, it, I can still revert back into that. Yeah. Well, I mean, we're living in New York City, so it, it is all you have to do is look up and you see it around us on every corner. Exactly. So when you went off, when you went to college, you went to Albany, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So when you, when you went to Albany, in the back of your mind, was this sort of like the first step towards that big master goal? No. Um, I went, I had no plan. I had no, there was nothing. Like I wound up going to Albany because it was convenient. Yeah. My father had said, we'll pay for a state school. I didn't want to do anything more. I just went there because I think that was like the first place that I went to on the college tour. Like, and I went to also Buffalo and it was snowing the entire time. I was like, all right, let's go here to Albany, which Albany just is a weird thing. Is it upstate New York? The, the actual campus was designed for Arizona to create wind. So you hear on campus, it's like 15 degrees colder. It's miserable. And I I hated it. I, I hated I just because I was so unhappy as a person. You know, I I struggled with I didn't even realize it was struggling, but with addiction and drinking, you know, and all these. I I didn't realize at that time. I just thought that's what everyone did because the people I was around were like that. Yeah. And I had no, I had no plan. I, you know, some people say like, oh, I knew exactly what I was going to do and, you know, become an entrepreneur and all this. And that was not my, that was not my story. Hmm. What'd you end up actually studying? Political science. Uh, I used to want to be a lawyer. Oh, which is weird. <laughs> you were a lawyer. Which is funny because I studied political science too. And the only reason was because my senior, I could not figure out like what I should do to graduate. So finally I'm just like, eh, I have enough courses in this. Yeah. Um, I had no intention of being a lawyer at that point either, even though I ended up going down that path. Um, so you come out of there and this this was then the late 90s, early 2000s? Yeah, right at the early 2000s. Right. Yeah. So this is a really interesting time like in the economy and, and the dot-com world too. Yeah, and I was looking for a job. So yeah. again, I've been an entrepreneur for almost all of my life, but it was not what... I didn't think that that was possible for me. Like so what were you doing as an entrepreneur when you were younger? Um, no, no, nothing. Meaning like in my adult life, I've been oh, okay. an yeah, entrepreneur, yeah. but I, so I'm, so here's an interesting thing. In my immediate family, not only was I the first person to become an entrepreneur or, you know, own my own business, I was the first person not working a school system. Oh, no kidding. So my parents were both school psychologists. Then my brother became a school psychologist. My sister worked in a school. So I was like the first one to just not do that. So I there I was looking and, you know, trying to get different jobs or whatever. My sister introduced me to this guy who was a family friend of like her husband's family. And he used to be like a huge um, pharma executive. And she's like such a good guy, you know, family man, all that. So he was starting a web development company with three other guys. This was around the time that like a company called Razorfish was trading at like $200. Right. It's like, like billion dollar, you know, multi-billion dollar yeah, company. Yeah. Everyone's just making up the weirdest name you can for like whatever the company is. It, yeah. Exactly. And people are just throwing money. So these guys, 
so started this company web development company now the the pharma executive six months in wound up being in rehab he had a terrible coke problem he had left his family um all these different things and he was like the most stable of the four partners <laughs> so Another guy was a like the number four guy at Stratton Oakmont, um, which is like boiler room, uh, Wall, Wolf of Wall Street. It's all based on so which I didn't know any of this stuff at the time. And then another guy wasn't allowed to trade securities in like New York and Connecticut and, and you know, blah, blah, blah. And it just keeps going on. And my job was making phone calls, like making calls like basically cold calling people to get up to get appointments set up where you know to see to demo like our web development stuff and I was really good at it like I would call like 300 people a day in New York City it was like the most miserable thing and then I led the telemark you know all this stuff and I worked really hard and I was just expecting like all right this is it so like that six-year-old kid all right, you're finally going, this is like your ticket to happiness. You're finally, because everyone was becoming, you know, multi-million and billionaires from the dot-com days. And this was it. I had an office like overlooking Statue of Liberty down on like Water Street and all this. And it did not work, obviously, <laughs> as you can probably tell from the, the, the foundation of those four guys. But it, it just like I wound up leaving there and I was like, I never want I never want to make a cold call again in my life or do like people would spend so much money on, um, you know, on, on these websites that would do nothing. So I kind of decided, all right, I'm going to do the opposite. Um, but it was it's just amazing, like how I like I really thought like that was the key that was going to be it. Mm. And it was so far away from being it. Yeah. I mean, at the same time though, it's like to, to be in that environment, especially straight out of school on the one hand, you know, there's a lot of stuff that you see that you realize is all smoke and mirrors. Mm -hmm. um, but on the other hand, there's a lot of stuff that you see that's all smoke and mirrors. It's like, you kind of like, you know, the, the, the illusion or you know, like the, you know, like the, the fiction that you were telling yourself from the time that you were six, you start to like realize pretty quickly that, there's something that's you know, like not quite right about this. And I think a lot of us don't wake up to that until, or at least start to see hints of the fact that that might not be real until way later, later in life. Yeah. And I, it didn't, it still didn't completely dawn yeah. on me. All I knew was what I didn't want, right? which was what these guys are doing. But I still, I wanted like the, I still wanted the, the money. Flash, I still yeah. had, I wanted all that. Like that still was the driver for me. Right. So money's still the driver at that point. You were just like, not this way. <laughs> exactly. So where do you go from there? Started my own business for, right. uh, and it was completely as a result of just seeing what didn't work and then figuring, all right, here's how we can make it work. Right. So these guys were like doing, building websites that weren't doing pe things for people. So I'm like, all right, I just started learning about marketing and, you know, how to actually drive traffic and stuff like that. Right. But this was also around the time where everything crashed exactly <laughs> i mean because i remember at at 9 11 so i was living in brooklyn and because that's really like when things started to really i, I that's like for me like was such like a turning point yeah. and um i remember our office at that point was like in like flat iron area so for people who don't live in new york like 20s or something like that um, I was living in Brooklyn and Brooklyn had a 
the W train goes above ground. You're like going over a bridge. And I remember stopping in the middle of the bridge, the train stopping. The guy, the conductor started like talking as if it was as if it was like Disneyland. And he was like, if you look to your right, you'll see that the Twin Towers are on fire. It was like really that, like not realizing what was going on or anything like that. But the reason I'm telling this story is like, this was such a turning point for me. Um, I wound up like getting to our office and watching one of the towers fall because we used to have a, a, um, a view of that. But that next day, um, after getting you know through all that, and the next day, like, not even having enough money to go to like to dinner or anything and calling our boss and being like, Hey, do you want us to come in to work? Like, that's how I was still that like driven. And, um, you know, and him being like, Oh no, go out to, because he hadn't been paying us all this stuff. And, you know, that being like the, the huge turning point for me. And then that, you know, the, I think the whole world kind of changed at that time. Um, yeah, it was just, it was, I don't know why I'd like been on my mind recently yeah. around that whole time. Um, and then that's like right after is like when we wound up leaving and then starting, uh, starting my own company. Yeah. I mean, I think that was a catalyst for so many people to just make some really abrupt changes. Like yeah. us both having been in the city yeah. um, at the time, it was, it's funny. I sometimes wonder, um, you know, it was a, it was a, it was such a traumatic window and experience for everybody for like the entire country but for those who were in new york and who are were new yorkers um that day it was different you know th it was. there was something that is just indescribably visceral yeah that changed almost you know, pretty much everyone i know who was here that day yeah it, especially just all the different there's like lots of different reminders for me so for example I'd a I lost a lot of people. Yeah. Um, and I remember one of my friends, this girl who then I'd seen her like two days before and bumped into her at the gym. And she was, I think she was with her mom. And I remember I was drinking Fiji water and she was like, Oh, that's my favorite water. So anytime that I pick up a bottle of Fiji, mm -hmm. like I always remembered that. And, you know, and it wasn't like I wasn't super close to her or anything like that, but it's just like that, that interesting, like different little things. Like yeah, there was, um, there was a, a kind of a massive wall in New York where people just started taking tiles, little ceramic tiles um, with people's names or just remembrances and put, posting them on a fence and became this massive sort of, you know, like back, you know, just crowdsourced memorial yeah. um, from thousands of people. And you would go there and it was just... It was complete silence there, you know, as you just walked and looked. Um, and uh, my wife and I just literally walked by that spot, um, you know, years and years and years later. And there are still, um, it's still there. Yeah. There aren't nearly as many tiles, many, many have, have gone away over the years, but there are still many up there. And I was amazed how in a moment, it's like just seeing this, I, like you're back there. It takes you right back. Yeah. yeah. It's crazy. It's like it's just beneath the surface. Yeah. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. 
Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Good Life Project is sponsored by Lexus GX. So have you ever owned something that inspired you to just up your game? For me, it was this high-end mountain bike. I love the ultralight frame, the suspension, the precision gearing, and I realized it deserved to be ridden to its full potential. So I started training harder so I could experience the joy it could give back to me, and it paid off. That bike helped me discover just new levels of performance and straight-up joy. When we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. Imagine tackling rugged landscapes with the available 33-inch all-terrain tires and multi-terrain select, then unwinding with the available front-row massaging seats. This is a vehicle that inspires you to go further to live up to its full potential. So why settle? Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Good Life Project is sponsored by NetSuite. So I remember when our businesses were just starting to really scale. It was amazing and also added complexity and stress. And the things that I used to do in hours were taking days, too many spreadsheets, too many systems, no single source of truth. If that sounds familiar, you should know these numbers. 37,000. 25 and 1. 37,000 businesses have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. 25. NetSuite turns 25 this year. That's 25 years of helping businesses do more with less, close their books in days, not weeks, and drive down costs. And 1. Because your business is one of a kind. So you get a customized solution for all of your key performance indicators in one efficient system with one source of truth, manage risk, get reliable forecasts, and improve margins. Everything you need to grow all in one place. And right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com slash goodlife. That's netsuite.com slash goodlife to get your own KPI checklist. netsuite.com slash goodlife. So this happens and at the same time, everything's falling apart in the company that you're at and this becomes a catalyst for you to say, okay, Things need to change, but you also, you didn't decide to go somewhere else. You're like, let me, I want to define my own thing from this point forward. Yeah. And I just started learning and that was like, that's how I've learned everything. Like just online, trying myself, like no, no, I didn't have a mentor. I didn't have any training or anything. I just started like reading and learning and just trying things. It always sounds so much better in, you know, looking back, like it wound up being great. Um, But I mean, it's hell, you know, I think that that's like an important thing to remember. Like I was broke as a joke for a long time, Um, you know, a really long time. 
And, but then I would, again, like I was still tracing, like, I'll be happy. This has been a big theme for me is like, I'll be happy when, all right, when I get to this, when I don't have to worry about this or, and I just remember like never, like it never works, you know, it works for like 30 minutes, like whatever those goals are. I remember like the first time I got like a nice car I'm driving it home from New Jersey and for some reason I bought it in New Jersey and, um, and like feel, I felt great for like 30 minutes, like driving and like, you know, smelling the new leather, all that. And uh, it was a BMW and, um, and then it just went away. Like I didn't even make it back to New York City and it was gone. I was like, oh man, this is so sad. You're like, I need to go drive this back and get the bigger, shinier one. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and then that would go, you know, that would last 31 minutes maybe. <laughs> yeah. But still you're in it. So it's like, even though you're feeling, do you, actually, here's my curiosity. When you look back, can you remember like that was what happened? Or do you do you recall actually feeling that in the moment while you're literally like you're driving it in by the time you hit New York City, you're like, okay, so that was nice, but what's next? <laughs> yeah, I this is an interesting, it's such an interesting question because I sometimes wonder about my own memory. Like yeah. I, I think we, I, I have, I think we all have this ability to like, you can change what your actual memory is. So I don't know if I felt that right, you know, how deeply, like I, in my mind, I can see it and I can feel it exactly as it happened. I wonder if that's exactly the way, like if I had that realization, because perspective is so unbelievably powerful and perspective can, you know, I can see it so clearly now. I'm wondering at that time in like, you know, 2004 or whatever, how, how deeply I felt that. Yeah. Cause I mean, so you start a firm, this was uh 10 E 20, right? Yeah. Um, because the office was on 10 East 21st street. <laughs> and then at that time, numbers came up before like directories were so important like yahoo was like a directory and it like that was so important so numbers came up before letters so i would always be at the top of any list right. or anything like so that you're thinking seo like, I, so I was, I was a big seo guy and that was also so that was in a part in new york city where back then it was considered um there was like a small slice of manhattan that was considered silicon alley Flat iron, you know, yeah. like we were, we were chasing Silicon Valley. And so that address um, for non-New Yorkers would have been in the heart. Yeah. Like right in the roadway. where yep. everything was happening in the tech world yeah. in New York City and all the explosive growth and everything. Yep. Is your intention at that point to just build a giant? <laughs> um, my intention when I started was to just get money coming in, yeah. um, meaning like instead of getting a job, right. <laughs> like it was really that simple. Like, again, like I did not have that mentality yet of really wanting to be an entrepreneur or, you know, do something remarkable or anything like that. I was not at that level in my life where that really, that really mattered. I mean, I was very still very self-consumed. So I was like, all right, well, I'll be able to help people doing this, doing it better than we had been doing it and, you know, make enough to live on. Yeah. So did you start this alone or with other people? Um, my wife, the, well, we weren't uh, married, but my ex-wife. Right. Yeah. So you were dating at the time. Right? Yeah, exactly. Right. So, which adds a whole nother element to this. Oh yeah. <laughs> why make it, why make it easy? <laughs> um, so you're, so that firm though, I mean, looking back, you know, that when we know the history of that firm, it actually, it grows to become 
this sort of like rock star in that world. Yeah. And well, so that wound up becoming really, it did great. Um, I started speaking. I started focusing on publicity to differentiate myself, started being the person, the company that people would want to hire to do, you know, something cool. It was like the, was like the really, um, like just kind of like the rock star status of it. And then it got to a point where I was going to then sell it because I got really focused on, all right, I'm gonna, I want to just build this to sell it. And I got to a point where I had the offer in my hand and it was a good offer, but there was a two year earnout, and meaning I would have had to work for the acquiring company for at least two years and blah, blah, blah. And at the last minute, I was like, nope, I can't do it. And I think immediately I put down uh, the the paper, picked up the phone, called a bunch of different people, a bunch of like competitors slash friends that did similar things. And we formed something um, bigger. And again, now here is where I was like, all right, now I want to build the biggest, best agency in the world. Yeah. So this was like, okay, so now we're going to turn this into like my razor fish. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Um, so you partner up with a bunch of other people who had been doing their own thing to create this sort of yep. like bigger agency. That what year are we talking about at that point? That was two thousand eight or nine, two thousand nine, I think. Right. Um, and you're on your way in your in your mind. Two thousand nine, maybe two thousand ten. Actually, two thousand ten. Yeah. yeah, yeah, completely. Are you happy at that time? I was miserable. So I I was not. So now I'm such a person focused on personal growth, spirituality, none of that stuff. I was focused on me and I was focused on ego. I was focused on how I came off to people, what people thought about me. I mean, completely. So also I'm attracting people like me and yeah, it was just, I, w I was miserable, yeah. absolutely miserable. Now, if you looked at my life on the outside, you'd probably think it was great, you know, constantly being talked about, like a great pub, all this stuff. And I was absolutely miserable. Now, I didn't really know how miserable I was. And also, I mean, I had, you know, I was struggling with addiction, like, again, not even realizing it, but no, like now, obviously looking back, I can talk about that. But so I didn't know. I didn't know how miserable I was. The way I always describe it is like I was comfortable being uncomfortable. And there's different levels of that. There's like a good uncomfortable where you're pushing yourself out of your comfort zone, literally. And I think that's like a really powerful uncomfortable. But there's also like an uncomfortability where you're just like stagnant. Uh. And you're just kind of miserable, but you don't know it and you don't want to change anything because there's like safety in your misery. That's what it was for me. Yeah. And I mean, not only safety in your misery, but there's also if you're surrounding yourself with people with the same value set and who are all equally miserable. Yeah. There's like camaraderie in it. 100%. There's like a sense of like your sense of identity and belonging is built around us all feeling this way. Exactly. Yeah. And when you have a lot of power in choosing who's going to enter the realm, it's like you just keep adding more people in this, you know, with that same lens. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, um, so th at that point, you're also struggling with addiction. Um, what, how did that show up? It showed up by just being a complete egomaniac. It showed up by, um, you know, 
I mean, literally just being, oh, I had a, uh, by the time I got sober, so I got sober on January 3rd, 2011. So there was like a nine month period from starting this company to that. So that, this is the new company where this is the new company. Right. Yeah. And I was just never, I was never, the best way to describe it is I was never present. So even if I was, I had a new daughter who, you know, now like it, it blows my mind to hear this, but I was not a part of her life. You know, I walked out of her life at one point um, and, you know, it was just, it, it, I, I was not, I was not a person. I don't, I would, it's the best way for me to describe it. Um, I was just, uh, I was just there. <laughs> I was taking action, but not in any way that was doing anything um i was so disconnected from just mm -hmm. from not only other people but from myself yeah completely disconnected so what happens on january 3rd 2011 to make that change so it was more like december 28th of 2010 is i had this moment um i had moved to florida so when i talk about like i literally walked out of my daughter's life um and i was married at the time i walked out on her and moved to florida because you know that they were the problem or you know not my not my daughter but you know whatever it was and i'd missed a bunch of flights back from las vegas uh, we had just acquired a company and you know i was out there speaking it was like a mess and I come back um, and I move. I moved to Florida. We had an office down there. So I'm going to move, do that because there's something in that the, in like the recovery where they call it is a geographic. So, you, you know, I've changed where I live. I'm going to change myself. So you can do a geographic with so many different things, a job, a girlfriend, blah, 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 whatever it is. So I move down there. And it's a mess. And the whole time, it's just a blur. And I come back up for Christmas. And I am, you know, uh, with my family and, you know, not staying at my own house or anything. Um, and my daughter's first, uh, first real Christmas and where I remember being at my, um, at my sister's house and I've also three nieces, they come running in Christmas morning, like six o'clock, you know, to, um, you know, to, to go open presents and I have to go and like take drinks and, you know, in, in the bathroom just to be present enough to watch kids open presents. Um, so that's kind of just to give you like an insight into like where I was at that point. And I then, uh, you know, go on like that for a few days. I was supposed to go back to Florida and I knew like in my mind, it was like, I had been going through with like these three thoughts for a long time. Like, um, you know, continue living the way that I was living. And I'd always thought I would be dead by 40, you know, from being a little kid, even before. I don't know why, but that was always kind of the the idea. It was really, it's crazy for me to say that now. And, you know, number two, the second thought was um, like, just, you know, ending it, kill myself, you know, like, just don't want to live this way. I didn't really want to do that, but I was so miserable. And, Number three was like getting clean. Now, I didn't know anything about sobriety or anything. It was just getting clean. They all seemed like equally good. Now, again, at this point, like if you look at my life, like it looks good. I'm, you know, all this stuff. But like this is why social media and all these things can be so dangerous because like you don't know. And I wound up just I wound up going back to my house and I'd had this whole argument with my 
uh, daughter's mother and, you know, wound up like she was like, I just can't have you in our lives. And I wound up going into my kitchen and I'm in the kitchen and at my island and I just have this thought. And the thought was, I can't do this anymore. That was it. I'm too tired. And I was like, she came back down the stairs and she'd be, she went up to put my daughter down for a nap. And I said, listen, I want to get clean. You know, I, I, I don't want to drink anymore. I don't. And she said, all right, I'll help you. And I had wanted to go to this like 10 day treatment center. It was the first thing that came up in Google and it was an aversion therapy place. I didn't know anything about. So basically you, if you go there then then they like you drink or something and then they, they uh, give you like true serum and then it's just this awful thing. And so I'd said, I want to go to this because I just was like, all right, get it done in 10 days. I didn't know anything about recovery. I didn't know it's like a, you know, lifelong thing. And um, we had been seeing over the summer, this guy, this uh, counselor, and she called him and this guy never would take a dollar from me because he's like, I can't help you. You're not ready. Mm. And that was like, it drove me crazy at the time. And so she called him and she said, Chris is ready to get clean. He wants to go to this place. And the guy was like, well, Chris is done making decisions. Here's where he's going to go. He's going to go to Karen Foundation in Pennsylvania. And that's where I wound up going. And the reason is December 28th and January 3rd is they couldn't take me until then. Mm. They couldn't take me. And and I was fine with that. Um, you know, so this is an important thing. Because like, even though I was ready, I still needed all that time. You know, and it wasn't like I had some great, like, you know, New Year's Eve party or anything. It was like mostly just being like passed out or whatever. But um, when I went there, I just listened, you know, and even though I didn't want to, I was ready. And I think that's an important thing with change is that it's not like I wanted it, but I didn't want it a hundred percent. Like, I think there's this belief and I know for myself, like I can get this belief, like I got to want it 110% or, you know, and especially now there's like all this, like with hustle and you have to hustle, you know, a thousand percent and blah, blah, blah. And like, for me, the thing that I started thinking about back then was I just have to want it a little bit more than I don't. So I always look at like 51% of me, like, that's it. Like, so somebody would come in and be talking and I'd be like, oh my God, I hate this person so much, but they're so stupid, but, but I wouldn't get up and leave and I would listen. And you know, that, and that's been like, how I've changed everything from there is like 51% because 51% gets me those days when I can have 90% mm-hmm. or 65%. So, yeah. So when you come out of that, how do you step back into your life again? And what, Slowly. And, like, <laughs> and, and, and I mean, what, what are, so you've got, cause you're still in this company, yep. right? Um, you're now different. Completely. Than, yeah. than, than the entire, like, everything that you've built and the culture that you've built and the assumptions about how you'll be in that culture is yep. different. Now in the context of like your personal relationships, that's probably a good thing, right? Because the expectations are like, okay, so now we've got something to work with your back. But in the context of this, like your own company that you've built where the culture is like, no, 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 that's not how we operate. Yeah, it was, it was a challenge right from the beginning. So there, because a big part of how I grew my agencies and built so many of my relationships revolved around drinking. 
revolved around going and speaking at conferences and then going out at night with people. And so I had had, you know, I'm struggling with this whole idea of like, how can I have a successful business and not drink? Like that was such an integral part of it, which now kind of blows my mind eight plus years later and realize like it, it's almost crazy to me, but that was such a big part. And then, you know, that's also how all my, you know, relationships had formed and that's what they're around. So yeah, that they're right from the beginning, it started to cause like, a, a, there was such a disconnect. Yeah. And it, and it sounds like at the same time also, the new entity was having some issues. Yeah. I mean, from kind of from the beginning and it just, but then we just kept growing it and growing right. it. And, you know, it, it just kind of hummed along and looked great on the outside and was a complete mess on the inside. And it was like a perfect example. I always say for like me, you know, like it was an analogy um, because I was still, even though I was sober and doing all this stuff, like I still had this huge tug in me like I would go into my own office and feel miserable and you know realizing I'm like what am I doing like how am I really giving back or contributing and and then I was very um outside of recovery I was very disconnected you know I had because there was this whole thing like about connecting with people and it was so in business it was so related to drinking and it was so related to partying and all that and I just I couldn't do that anymore. I was, you know, that was just not who I was. So that the, the that just kept going on, and then that company like spectacularly imploded. Um, you know, I guess about two years after that, and it was like all the it, it, there's like the saying is like God can will do for you what you can't do for yourself. I probably I don't know. I didn't have the strength to just leave. Because that was my identity. That was like so much of who I was was tied up in that company. I think the same can you know, happen for people in like a relationship or, you know, whatever it is. And you just, again, like you stay stuck and it's comfortable. I was comfortable being uncomfortable. And, and then that just like all kind of imploded. And, you know, it was like all the worst possible things that I could imagine, like all kind of happened. And it was very public and just like gross and it was like looking back like that was one of the best things that ever happened to me in my life but it felt horrible like I read you know Facebook memories I got one from like six years ago on uh Saturday I showed it to Jen it was like about like you know taking the high road and um you know because I just at that time it was just so like you know painful and uh, going on and I um but that's also where everything started to change for me like that was yeah. like part two in terms of so getting sober which felt like the worst day of my life ever waking up in rehab like literally I wrote down on a piece of paper this is the worst day of my life I wanted to be a that's the day I look at every single day as the best day of my life it didn't feel like that now when all this stuff happened this was like act two for me this was the beginning mm -hmm. and you know there it, it just it, it still amazes me how we have to not we don't have to but for me, I've had to go through a lot of pain to get that growth. And, you know, that that's so this is like where then, you know, the whole next part happened where I'm like, oh, my God, I'm so unbelievably disconnected from people. Yeah, because now you don't have this whole structure to distract you from 
whatever level of suffering you're in, at least you go to work and you can be distracted like 24 seven. Yep. When this massive thing implodes and then it's you. <laughs> and not only do you have the, like the struggle of figuring out, okay, so, you know, like at that point, like, you know, like married, your father, you're living yep. in New York city, high standard of living, really big public I was living enclosure. in Florida at that oh, time right, in a right. gated community down in Florida. So I hadn't even made it back here yet. Right. And this is being in public also. So there's oh, sort of yeah. like a big public reputational thing yep. and you're clean. So you don't have a community that's really clean and sort of like looking at the same way as you outside of the people like recovery, from re, from yep. recovery. Where do you go when you're brought to your knees at that moment? I mean, what's the next move? Like, how do you look up and then say, okay, so how am I going to be okay? Yep. I, so the big thing I started to get, I started to get healthy, really healthy as a person. I remember one of the books that changed everything for me. And it's so weird. He lives a block away from us is I, I found James Altucher now, who's now a friend, but which is so weird because at the time I read a TechCrunch article that he had wrote like 101 something. And I was like, oh, I love how this guy writes. I went, bought his book, Choose Yourself. Start reading that. He has the whole thing about like daily, I think he called it daily practice, um, you know, just doing these different things. And I was like, all right, this, that really makes sense. I started doing my own, you know, I call it daily routine and, you know, really focused around getting, getting healthy, like mind, body, soul. And so I start that. And then I realize I'm still like kind of disconnected. So I start to reach out to people and set up meetings. And at first it was in Florida and I start meeting with no matter what, one person a day. So when I say meeting, sometimes that was phone calls, but a lot of times it was just, it, it, it was just going and sitting down with somebody. Now it's so strange, but I was so nervous to do that. I do it all the time now, but I was so unbelievably uncomfortable. Why? What was behind that? I think I was great being able, I was great being able to be up talking into a crowd or whatever. But then when it was just one-on-one, -on -one, no alcohol, no nothing, just and getting into like vulnerable stuff. And I never would have talked like this, like talked about all yeah. my flaws or failures or anything like that. Never I would, because I wanted you to think that I was perfect because I was so uncomfortable in my own skin that I needed you to believe that. So I started doing that, but then I started just like opening up because I had so much pain that I didn't know anything else. So as a result of that, just being open and like vulnerable with people, people started telling me stuff that, you know, I don't think they ever told anyone in their lives before. This still happens. Like I'll start talking to somebody in like a Starbucks and they'll wind up telling me something. And I think it's like that. So I'd learned a lot of just being able to be open in recovery and talking about stuff. And so I started doing that with quote unquote normal people. And it was just absolutely amazing. So then I was like, all right, let me also, instead of like being that person that was looking for something for myself always out of anything, let me flip that around and figure out what I can do to help people. Because I didn't need to, do, like, I didn't have anything. Like, I didn't know what I wanted to do next. I didn't know how I was ever going to make another dollar in my life. Like, forget a million, five million, anything. I was like, I don't know. Because I was so, like, scarred from this. And, and I started doing that. And, you know, I've done that now. 
I don't even know how long it's been. You know, I guess that was April of 2013 and just doing that and, you know, then doing it in, you know, having dinners and, you know, asking people, you've been to many of my dinners and it just, it's absolutely amazing because again, getting back to what I mentioned before, like I realized how much of a disconnect there was between what I saw from people on social media or what I saw from people. Like I started meeting when I moved back to New York, I started meeting like celebrities that I grew up like worshiping and then talking to them and being like, wow, they have this, they're more fucked up than me. Like, you know, like uh, it's, it's, so it was fascinating to me. So I wanted, like, I realized how much pain that had caused me. I'm like, how do I like, you know, start to change that for people? Um, you know, because I think that there's such a, there's such a belief now we see like all the highlight reels and we see like somebody's perfect life. And I know so many of those people that have the perfect life and I know, you know, their pain. Um, you know, I know what the real issues are. Yeah. I think, um, social media really screws with us and on the one it's like it gives and it takes you know it gives flattens the world it lets us meet and befriend and be in service of and and like all these different people who we never would have been able to actually build relationships with before and at the same time like you were saying so much of what goes on with it these days is like here's my shiny happy utterly fake life yeah and then if you were the kid who had the comparison thing at Tuxedo Park when you were six, which we're, we're all that on some level, you know, and then instead of just seeing the gated community, you know, like in your town, you know, you see effectively what is the shiny, happy, gated community lives of millions of people. Um, and you're making assumptions about how it's so much better than yours. And then knowing also that <laughs> so much of it is just smoke and mirrors. Um, yeah. It's 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 fascinating to see what it's doing to us. I mean, it's also, I mean, you look at the levels of anxiety and depression out there now, not just in adults, but also in kids who who are native to this. It's really scary, um, the linear relationship. Yeah, it, there's a loneliness epidemic. So yeah. we're more connected than ever, but we're more disconnected because it's not a true connection. So I'll share a quick story with you. So I was we do these different dinners, like bringing together influencers or, um, that's funny saying influencers when we're talking about all these issues, um, but, uh, media and all kinds of different people. We were doing one in LA and at that dinner, there was maybe 25 people and, you know, most had like, let's say a hundred to a million followers and, you know, seven or eight figure businesses. And, you know, many of the people leading absolutely perfect lives and i always start out any of our dinners people have like we pay for everything we do everything they just have to answer one question you know the question is what do you need help with right now and i found that by getting people to answer and putting themselves in a vulnerable position it's really amazing because other people help them and all this at that dinner though like 60 percent of those the people in that room the thing that they wanted help with was finding actual friends like actual connection and you know it 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 just again these are like the people with like that perfect life but still not feeling you know really truly connected and that's like a that's like a basic human need you know and so i that's why i believe in it so much because i know for me that's what changed everything connecting being open honest and vulnerable figuring out what i can do to help somebody 
That changed my entire life. Everything. Good Life Project is sponsored by Lexus GX. So have you ever owned something that inspired you to just up your game? For me, it was this high-end mountain bike. I love the ultralight frame, the suspension, the precision gearing, and I realized it deserved to be ridden to its full potential. So I started training harder so I could experience the joy it could give back to me. And it paid off. That bike helped me discover just new levels of performance and straight up joy. When we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. Imagine tackling rugged landscapes with the available 33-inch all-terrain tires and multi-terrain select, then unwinding with the available front row massaging seats. This is a vehicle that inspires you to go further to live up to its full potential. So why settle? Live up to the all-new Lexus GX. Luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. So when you start to, to lean into that and do that on a daily basis, changes you. I mean, also on the one hand, I think it changes you because you reconnect with people who maybe see the world similarly to you. You're more vulnerable. So you realize we're all struggling through this in the same way. So the comparison sort of like ch- the way you compare changes too. Then you're, you're I mean, I'm curious also how you're going through all of this, you know, like you're tight with your family. They're watching from the outside, looking in. What's happening with that dynamic? <laughs> so with my family, yeah. in what way? Like you're, so like your your mom, your dad, mm-hmm. your siblings, you know, on the one hand with them, and then also you trying to reintegrate into, you know, like the life of your kid and then your, your wife. Yep. Yeah, it was all... So when my family, I mean, a lot of my family time was around, like, it's interesting, like how 
alcohol, like you, it can lead to so much <laughs> or like you can, it's crazy to me now because, um, you know, it, it doesn't play a role in my life at all, even though I'm around it so much. But what I find is that I had to like, just re <laughs> redo all of my relationships. So that meant completely eliminating a lot of people from my life. Um, and you know, the one, like I literally changed my phone number at one point and I remember I went to the store and like the Verizon store and gave the guy my, I was like, I want a new phone number. And he's like, Oh, you want me to move over all your contacts? I was like, no. And he's like, really? I've never seen that before, but I just wanted to start completely fresh. And, you know, and I think that's like such a, that's such a powerful thing. Now, that didn't mean like just getting rid of everything in my life, but, um, you know, family and things like that. But it did mean getting, you know, cutting relationships with a lot of people and some in my family, not my immediate family. But, um, you know, and I think that's okay. It's unbelievable how many people I've gone through in terms of like the more this is something people always talk to me about and they struggle with and like. Um, you know, but I found that you have to let go, you have to let go of people. But with my daughter, you know, she was like the big catalyst for, she's the one who helped me realize like that I was really disconnected. Like I realized I was disconnected from her. That's what literally led me to start getting more connected to other people. So I'm like, all right, this is the most important person in my life. And she doesn't even feel connected to me. I got to change that. So with her, it's been this whole thing of just, it's amazing because now I have the closest relationship with her and she is unbelievably confident in who she is. So she's, you know, she's 10. There's a lot of kids and she lives in, she's going to be 10, but she lives here in New York City on the Upper West Side and extremely privileged life and, you know, around and, you know, a lot of kids start getting their phones at like seven and you know and she doesn't care she doesn't want a phone she told me the other she called me yesterday i was in this meditation thing getting ready to start and she's like can i tell you something like you know some kids at school had started a group chat and she could care less like and i love that like i love that that she doesn't feel pulled to that like that makes me really really happy it's a great reminder for me too, because I probably check my phone way more than, you know, um, but yeah, it's, uh, I think a big part of it was just like either having, I had to kind of learn, relearn how to live, um, or learn how to live. I don't know if I ever really knew. Yeah. When you start, um, exploring all of that also, I mean, you also have to rebuild your career <laughs> literally from the ground up, Yep. you know, and granted it starts from you having all these different conversations. But it's also you asking the question, what's next? Like, did you have any idea where, where it is? So like right now, as we sit here and speak, um, you run this company yep. um, and you're all over the media, mm -hmm. which is interesting. And very often when you know, like people see you on TV, it's it's under the moniker, the super connector. Yeah, yeah. Um, you run a company called Unfair Advantage where yeah. you bring a lot of people together. Yeah. You, you've essentially, I mean, it feels like to me, and I'm curious from the inside looking out, whether it feels like from me over the last you know chunk of years now, you've taken those once a day conversations where like the, the sole intention becomes to be of service to and just continue to build upon them to figure out how to essentially 
be the person who understands how to create astonishing relationships that benefit um, other people and teach others how to do something similar and somehow figure out a way to turn that into <laughs> into a career, a yeah. living, a company, all these different things. So my favorite quote of all time is you can't connect the dots looking forward. You can only connect them looking yeah, backwards. Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs, 2009 Stanford commencement speech. Now I'm not even a big Steve Jobs fan, but when I heard that, I was like, oh my God, that's it. Because I did not know. So we just like the, your podcast is such a great example of this. Like you hear somebody's story and it's all these disconnected things that all somehow wind up connecting. So I had to go through all of those different experiences to get here. And it's, I didn't know, like I never would have thought this, and this is a big thing of what I teach people now is like connecting with people wound up becoming something that came easy to me. And looking back over my childhood and things like I always had lots of different friends and, you know, always very close relationship, things like that. But like, would never have thought that I could make money from that or build a business or be fulfilled from that in any way. And, you know, for seven months, I had no idea what I was going to do. No idea. Moved back to New York, was down to nothing because I'd lost so much money in this business and had no idea uh, how I was going to make another dollar. And I don't say that ex in an exaggerated way. And, you know, then one day from starting doing all these different things like becoming much healthier talking to people doing all this like the daily work it just came to me and not this not the business that i do now but just how i could start making money again because i didn't want to do anything around marketing or anything because i was like so turned off and then i started helping somebody and then i started helping another person with like their business and as soon as i said hey want to hire me to do some stuff like they were like yes boom and then, you know, another person. And then I really was in, like, I had to start learning how to actually work. So I got really into productivity. You're laughing. Uh, there's a reason Jonathan plays a key part in this. But I got really into productivity. And then I built a business around that. And I started writing in all these major magazine things around productivity. And I had this business around that. And I, I liked it. I didn't love it. I liked it and started speaking, doing all these different things. And then I, you know, then through, um, I started doing dinners um, with my friend, Selena Sue and I, we started doing these dinners. And then we started doing, uh, we did like a mastermind around like, you know, publicity, because that's how I'd always built everything, was using publicity and all these relationships. And then here's the reason Jonathan's laughing is that, we're in this small mastermind together. We call it the dad mastermind and mastermind is like a fancy word for basically four guys that all have kids that are really committed to them, but also run businesses. And we get together about every 45 days and just give each other feedback. And on top of that, where it's, it's one of the closest, closest group of people that I've ever been part of, like, Anything that anyone in there needs, I will do. And, you know, I feel like vice versa. And in February of 2017, you guys looked at me and I use the plural because everyone takes credit for it uh, because it worked out. <laughs> they don't take credit for all the bad stuff. They, you guys looked at me and you're like, listen, anytime that we describe you to somebody, we describe you as our unfair advantage. It's like, what do you mean by that? I said, well, 
we want to get media, if we want to find like a launch partner, a vendor, like you're able to just like kind of text somebody and all of a sudden it's there. And so I thought about it more and more and, you know, we explored it and I'm very good with people that I trust at taking advice and implementing. That's one thing that I can say about myself. And, you know, so I took that really to heart and then I'd helped our friend who's also in it, Todd Herman. I'd helped him a lot that year with 90 to his big event. And Ty, he's like, you got to do this. You got to like put your stuff together and do an event around how to build these win-win relationships, how to connect entrepreneurs to the media and all that. So I wound up doing that as an event and it was amazing. It was like a one day thing. It wasn't, I did not, wasn't expecting a business around it. One day thing, teach people how to do the stuff that I do, bring in people from the media, help them make connections and not around pitching themselves but around creating a relationship. So again, going back to what I had been doing for so long, it was not about like going in and pitching myself to people. It was like, all right, figure out what I can do to help them. And then as a result, they wanted to help me. And, you know, there's a law of reciprocity. Like if you do something good for somebody, it has to come back to you. It doesn't have to come back to you from that person. It's got to come back to you. And then there was no business around it. And I just did that in the middle of like Todd's like, three day, two day thing. And he had an extra day. And so we did that together and I did another one. And now it's turned into a three day event, uh, you know, that we do. And it's just this amazing thing. And I built an absolutely beautiful company. And when I say beautiful company, I don't mean that, um, in a bragging way, but like of people that I love working with, my colleagues are absolutely amazing and clients that I'm just like we help people that don't really aren't they're really good at what they do but they're not good at telling people about that and my belief is that those are the people that need the world needs and they're just amazing amazing people and I love like I, I feel so unbelievably grateful because I know what the alternative is like and I say this every Friday we do a weekly wins call with my company and I say it every Friday I'm like it's, I'm so unbelievably grateful to get to work with you people. doesn't mean anything's ever perfect or anything like that. Um, but I know, you know, and I was able to really, I think, consciously create that too. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because it's sort of like you've, the thing that got you out of a really dark place, um, then woke you up to the power of just being with other people who see the world like you. And then turned into this thing, which now becomes your living and your form of service. Um, and I think it's really fascinating too, to me, to see how, like knowing you, for, you know, like pretty well for yeah. a number of years now, to see how your devotion to doing the work every day on yourself profoundly informs, I think it's so important for me to, to, to see also, and cause I'm constantly struggling with this, is to know that, um, you know, like when you had the opportunity to create something and form a team and build a culture, that it's always just a reflection of your own inner life <laughs> yeah, and your own inner work. It's been interesting for me to see how, like knowing your history, you were, you created and were part of an organization where a lot of things were toxic. Yeah, a lot. You know, that melted down. Yeah. You melted down along with it. Yeah. And when, you, when you've had the chance to, to birth something new, 
it's almost like it's like a you know it's like the um the George Costanza thing. It's like the opposite thing. It's like you look back at like all the choices that you made, like everything that you did like back then. It's like, what is the opposite of that? And that's what I want to create now. And what's interesting to me is that both as as somebody you know, like a, a, a friend, but also an, an entrepreneur and somebody who's worked a lot of entrepreneurs is a lot of people think that, but when it comes to executing and building, there are a lot of market tensions that that try and pull you away from it. Yeah, constantly. <laughs> um, so staying to that core of values and beliefs and practices is really hard. Um, so it's interesting to sort of see you navigate that. Yeah, and it's something that we keep getting better and better with. So we have like different rules. This was something that just came up recently where it's like, don't settle. So what I mean by that is that we had a couple of different opportunities where we're constantly hiring people and where it was like, oh, this person's really good, except it's not like 100%, like, yeah. And we're like, you know what? Don't, like, I, any time that I've had that, it's never really worked out. So, like, just, like, it, it's, like, that whole thing of trying to get over, like, the short-term, like, relief of from pain or whatever the pain is to, you know, for the shortcut. And, you know, same thing with clients. Like we have something, um, I learned this from my friend David Nagel is like, if somebody on the team, like let's say there's some, a client that one person's unsure of, a potential client, somebody can just pull a red card and no questions asked, we can't take that on. Now, as somebody who like loves sales and loves like that's that's hard, but it works. It like because you just keep getting closer and closer. And there's a lot of people out there, you know. There's a lot like if you come from the abundant mindset, which is not my default, you know. That's had to become like, and I have to work at it, just like you said, because I start over every day and in fear and you know all these different things. And but if you come from that, it just it's it's unbelievable what winds up happening. Mm. Yeah. And it is a practice. <laughs> that's not my natural default. I, I know people where that's kind of their default. And I'm like, man, I know. I wish I could wake up in the morning and just see the world that way automatically. And I'm like, but I don't. But I do in general, like through making it a, a practice. So it feels like a good time for us to also start to come full circle. So hanging out here in the context of this container called Good Life Project, if I offer up the phrase to live a good life, what comes up? The first thing that came up was to be of service. Now, again, that's not my default. <laughs> like, if you would, so it kind of makes me laugh to say that because that's not what I thought. Like I, uh, I didn't think that was the case. But when I realize when I'm at my happiest is when I'm not thinking about myself. Mm, thank you. Thank you so much for listening. And thanks also to our fantastic sponsors who help make this show possible. You can check them out in the links we have included in today's show notes. And while you're at it, if you've ever asked yourself, what should I do with my life? We have created a really cool online assessment that will help you discover the source code for the work that you're here to do. You can find it at sparkatype.com. That's S-P-A-R-K-E-T-Y-P-E. 
www.thinkandgrowthpodcast.com or just click the link in the show notes. And of course, if you haven't already done so, be sure to click on the subscribe button in your listening app so you never miss an episode. And then share, share the love. If there's something that you've heard in this episode that you would love to turn into a conversation, share it with people and have that conversation. Because when ideas become conversations that lead to action, that's when real change takes hold. See you next time.